Let's pray. God, you're doing some amazing things in this world. And you're doing some amazing things in this church. Um, Help us, God, see even more clearly, be impassioned more vigorously, and be challenged once again to truly change the world, one step at a time, one child at a time, one poster at a time, one Seder at a time. Uh, Lord, we want to be involved in your work and your movement. So help us to do that. Inspire us once again. And may we not just ask that you would bless us. May we truly, from the depths of our souls, ask, God, may what we do bless and honor you and your kingdom and your movement here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name, amen. Today's teaching is going to continue in our Genesis series. But there are some things that I'd like to share with you about not only the history of Spark, but some current recent events that have happened this week. Spark has been known for, or since the beginning, Spark has wanted to be a community that wrestles. And we are now in the chapter of our Genesis series, where that phraseology comes from, the idea or the concept of wrestling. And what I'd like to share with you, number one, is the teaching of Jacob wrestling with this messenger, this angel, this person who represents God. And then I'd like for us to really think about what does it mean to wrestle. And I'd like to remind ourselves of the fundamental ethics and the other values of question and engagement that we've had since the very beginning. And this is something that we hope never departs from Sparks culture, that we engage at a level, at a depth, and in a way that pushes us, stretches us, inspires us, moves not only our church, but the global church in a whole new way. So I wanted to say that at the front. I'm excited about Jacob wrestling and getting into some of the story and then challenging us for what the implications of wrestling might look like in your life, in our church, and in the global church. So let's start by reading the passage as we have done in the past. If you have your Bible or your personal digital assistant, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 32, and then we will get on with the teaching. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he replied. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon." 
All right, let's take one piece at a time and see if we can illuminate a few things for us. The first is that Jacob, if you remember this story, and I would encourage you to listen to some of the past talks, because this has been a long time coming. We are 32 chapters in, starting from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to 32. As often as we like to pick pieces of the Bible apart, our hope and our goal is that in addition to just reading the Bible segments like that, we start to see this global grand story, this whole thing that's being woven through the text. And this wrestling with Jacob falls into line with all of that. And we hear a little bit of that piece because you have wrestled with God and with man and have overcome recounting some of the wrestlings that he has done with Laban and the previous stories. Now, because he has this very contentious relationship with his brother Esau, Jacob is about ready to head on out to make amends. And he kind of has a plan together in the previous passages that we didn't read. Uh, I'll split my family up one side and I'll have another half of the family go on this side. So if Esau attacks me from this side, this family might might have to be subdued, but this family can be free. And he's trying to make an arrangement so that as he moves forward in the story, as he tries to move forward with his plans, and he's having to face this confrontation with Esau, he's trying to make it all work, at least protect half of his family. And on his way, on his way to Esau, he's interrupted. So the first thing that we start to see is the story begins with an interruption. Have you ever been... (laughs) Have you ever been interrupted? I'm, I hesitated as to whether or not I should show that image or not. But nonetheless, it's one of those things that is evoked into our culture. Have you ever been interrupted? Now, what I love about this is this wrestling with Jacob is not something that's planned. It is something that comes while he is on the way of his other plans. And I would like to suggest to you, this is one of the first lessons that we see. As we live life, as we continue on with our story, as we continue on with the story of Christianity, the Christian faith, as we continue on with this Jesus movement, as you're just living your life, life gets interrupted. And it's usually, sometimes, frequently, maybe, possibly God who interrupts you along the way. We got interrupted along (laughs) the way. Hello. Oh, we'll be right there. So, I love this piece. And I would like to encourage us that as we move into our story, as our church continues to progress and to advance into the year 2014 and beyond, there are many interruptions along the way. And we should, like this story, embrace the interruptions. We ought not to be fearful of the interruptions because there's a wrestling that's going to happen. And as you will see, there's a blessing as a result of the wrestling. So interruptions are oftentimes this thing that catches us off guard and we're not quite sure what to do with. And sometimes it's distracting us from what we think God wants us to do. But I would like to suggest to you maybe the interruptions is exactly what God wants to do. So what are the interruptions that you have? The theme development in this story is really fascinating. You, can't, you can kind of get this in the English, but you can especially get it in the Hebrew. That the, even the words there are starting to shout out to us, what is this interruption about? Jacob's name, if you take a look at the consonants of his name, already means to strive. We've talked about Jacob's name. And then it says he crossed the ford to the Jabbok River, which seems like some sort of... I don't know how important of a detail it is. 
But if you take a look at the theme development in this particular story, you have Jacob, Jabbok, and the word for wrestling is the word vayavek, vayavek in Hebrew. And if you take a look at those consonants, everything is playing on one another. And those are sometimes clues and hints in the text to tell you, I want to share with you something deep and important that's going on here. So that Jabbok story is not just there to tell you necessarily just a geographical marker, but Jacob, who's a striving kind of a person, has to cross the ford to the place of wrestling in order to wrestle. And you start to see that redundancy in the text, and that's a beautiful thing. It's kind of like when you're driving and you start seeing lights go off on your dashboard. Pay attention because something's coming. What does he get? He wrestles with this angel. He wrestles with this man. He gets a crack or a touch on his hip. And he is wounded. This wrestling with this God, this interruption, is actually causing him pain and having to cause him to stumble. It's not something that you would expect in this story. And then Jacob says this, I will not let you go. And I want to make a distinction We have a phrase in our Christian story and the ways in which we think about Christianity that we say, let go and let God. And it's a beautiful way of expressing to let go of stress and anxiety and control and just let God be in control. But that's not what he's saying when he says, I will not let you go. He's saying, this wrestling, I refuse. There's almost a stubbornness, a grit determination, almost opposite of the let go and let God idea. This is, no, no, I'm going to wrestle you. I'm going to hold on. I refuse to let you go. There's a grit determination and a persistence here. I'm not letting you go. What you've started this, whatever this wrestling is, whatever this fight is, whatever this pain is, whatever it is that we're now engaged in, I'm not letting go unless you bless me. And Jacob has a persistence here. Oftentimes in our interruptions, we're like, How soon can we get this done and over with? But here Jacob is saying, no, this interruption's here. I'm going to engage, I'm going to persist, and I refuse to let it go until there's a blessing. And what is this blessing that he gets? Verse 28. It's so beautiful. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is a beautiful phrase. Now, a couple things. First, the phrase with God and with humans, what could this mean? There's a couple options. With God and with humans could simply mean with the divine, the supernatural, as well as with the natural, the everyday humans that we see. And the idea there could simply be that when you wrestle with people, the very flesh and bone, and you're having an argument with somebody, there's something paradoxically and mystically happening that you're also wrestling with God. And in a way of saying that the divine and the human are somehow intertwined. So that when you're having an argument with your spouse, when you're having an argument with your boss, when you're wrestling and struggling and striving with an organization, that is somehow not just about them. It's somehow also about something else. I think Paul says this a little bit in Ephesians chapter 6, where our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and the forces of this dark world. When we wrestle and struggle here, there's something that's deeply connected with the supernatural as well. That's one option. The second option is all and sundry. This was a 
translation from a Jewish commentary, all in sundry. Kind of the idea that you've wrestled with the great things of this world, but you've also wrestled with the not-so-great things of this world. So I love both of those definitions, and I would love to hear the conversations that emerge out of our teaching time where you say, what part of that could be for what I'm dealing with? And then this phrase, Jacob has overcome. Not just wrestled, not just submitted to whatever interruption is there, has actually overcome. And this is really, really important for a couple reasons. Because what he gets as a result of overcoming is he gets a new name, he gets a new story, and because of the overcoming, he gets a new identity. A whole new way of thinking about himself and a whole new way of thinking about his people that are going to come. This, by the way, is why we love studying from a Jewish perspective. Because the descendants of Jacob, the attitude or the ethic of wrestling and struggling and grit persistence and questioning and engaging has come down through the ages and still exists today. I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's a grit determination to engage at a whole level. And when you engage, you will overcome. One of the arguments for this overcoming might come from history. There's a couple archaeological findings that we've had in, um, in history that point to us what may be, what this story may be saying. Number one is called the Merneptah Stella, which is dated to around 1205 BC from King Merneptah of Egypt. And there's a phrase, one of the first, if not the first, indicator of the name Israel. And that phrase there says, Israel is laid waste. There's a second Stella that was found, the Mesha Stella, dated to about 830 BCE, and that phrase written there says, Israel has perished forever. And so it may be that this story is written to tell us that whatever Jacob's wrestling has done, the wrestling that has happened there may actually be with the surrounding nations. There's all sorts of wonderful history that you could do but it's almost flying directly in the face of these other archaeological facts that we have to say Israel's laid waste, Israel's perished forever. And what this story is saying, no, 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 no. The wrestling is actually continuing on. And the descendants of Jacob, of which I would, uh, I would suggest all of us are, are still here wrestling today. So we have overcome. In fact, our very identity as followers of Jesus, which is very much in line with the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob story, fundamentally, we are people who wrestle. We have overcome, and this has now become our identity. And we wrestle. So as I mentioned before, at the very beginning of Spark, and for the work and the ministry that Danielle and I have been attempting to pursue over the last several years, is this kind of idea to say, we will wrestle interruptions along the way, we will engage. A wrestling that's going to happen, we're going to get in there and hang on, and we will not let go of this wrestling until you bless me. So, just like this was Jacob's blessing, so too this can be our blessing as well. That your name can have a whole new renewed story, and your identity can have a whole new renewed sense of identity. 
when you engage, when you wrestle, when you engage with the interruptions that come along the way. However, wrestling's hard. And part of the reason why I think people don't wrestle, and part of the reason why I think faith is often very simple, part of the reason why I think we accept very oversimplified pat answers is because wrestling is really, really hard. And the vast majority of us, I don't think we want to wrestle. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to have interruptions in our lives. It's like, especially for us type A personalities. Like, that was not on my list. And then if you really are a type A personality, interruption, write it in, cross it out. (laughs) Wrestling is hard. Yes, it's hard. But just like Jacob, it's worth it. And we get a blessing as a result. The way that I've seen this happen in us, I think, can be summed up in a couple ways of why we don't wrestle. And the opposite of wrestling for me would be a culture of disengagement. We don't want to engage. We don't want to wrestle. We don't want to fight. We don't want to have the persistence. We don't want to receive or accept whatever interruptions come along our way. We don't want it. Here are a couple ways that I think exemplify itself. One is just pure laziness. (laughs) Soak that one in for a little bit. (laughs) Sometimes we don't want to engage. Sometimes we don't want to wrestle just simply because we're lazy. Just simply because it's hard and we don't want to do it. Okay, that's understandable. I think a couple other ways in which this happens is sometimes we don't want to wrestle, we don't want to engage is because honestly, we just don't care. It's not important to us. There's other things that are important to us. Comfort, security, my own pattern and path. But this wrestling, this interruption, just ignore it. Sometimes we don't want to engage simply because we're distracted. We think we are doing a good work, But because we think so much that we're going in the right direction, any interruption is just not relevant. Or we consider it a distraction, and we really don't want to engage with it. I think there's a lot of other ways in which this could happen, one of them being disillusionment as well. Disillusionment is the idea that you think life is supposed to be heading in this direction. You have it all planned out. You know what it's supposed to be like. You have your 5, 10, 15, 20-year plan, and guess what? It doesn't work out that way. You signed up for this job. You have the job, job description or the position description. You knew exactly what you were going to get into, and then you get into the job, and it turns out there's nothing on that job description that you're doing. And you start to realize that it's not supposed to be that. You sign up for an organization, you get involved in wonderful work, but you start to realize that there's more bureaucracy and politics than the good work that you thought was going to be there. And so we simply begin to disengage. And I would suggest to you this one here, certainty. We've talked about this before at Spark where we talked about faith. But to have a certain level of certainty to say that I know that I know that I know can also be an excuse for disengagement. No more wrestling anymore. I just simply know. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. There's no other story. There's no other testimony that can change my mind. I already know that I know. So I think we have this as well as other ways in which we disengage. So what I'd like to share with you is some ways that I've seen in this world 
ways in which we can wrestle. And ways in which we can wrestle so that there's a blessing at the end. To not be distracted, to not be disillusioned, or I should say, to not let distractions overcome us. To not let disillusionment overcome us. To not let laziness or apathy overcome us. We overcome it. And that's the story of Jacob. We are going to wrestle, we're going to engage, and we will overcome, and there will be a blessing as a result of overcoming. The first way comes from this book, fantastic book, How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff. Grit, curiosity, and the hidden power of character. And what he writes is this. But in the past decade, and especially in the past few years, a disparate congregation of economists, educators, psychologists, and neuroscientists have begun to produce evidence that calls into question many of the assumptions behind the cognitive hypothesis. What matters most in a child's development, they say, is not how much information we can stuff into her brain in the first few years. What matters instead is whether we are able to help her develop a very different set of qualities, a list that includes, listen, persistence, self-control, curiosity, conscientiousness, grit, and self-confidence. I loved reading this. There's a whole other set of qualities and characteristics. This is the wrestling. Not just pure cognitive information dump, but grit, determination. I must wrestle with whatever is difficult and challenging here. Economists refer to these as non-cognitive skills. Psychologists call them personality traits. And the rest of us sometimes think of them as character. This, in my mind, in one field, in education, in the development of children, is one way to wrestle. To start to recognize and many of you, because I know we have a lot of people in our church that are in the education field, you wrestle every day trying to figure out what are the best educational practices, what are the things that are working, what are the things that are not working, and maybe this is one of the best, most beautiful expressions of this concept. We're going to engage, we're going to wrestle, we will be interrupted, and we won't let go until we receive a blessing. And if we can do that, maybe we can teach our children to do the same thing. And can you imagine what wonderful, beautiful success could come to them as a result of this wrestling? There's a second understanding of wrestling when it comes to faith and truth and experience. I'm in church work. I've been in ministry work my entire life. I work at a Christian school, so I pay attention to Pew Report, Barna Study, statistics as to what's happening in the global American church. And one of the things that they're talking about is the rise of this category called the nuns. And it's not those nuns. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are what these researchers are calling the religiously unaffiliated. Now, what I'd like to say here is, in my particular work, I've recognized that in the global church, both in America as well as beyond, there's a lot of shifts and tumultuous moves that are going on for a host of diverse reasons. So I don't want to pin it down and try to give you all of the research in one very short sermon. What I'd like to suggest is, part of what I have read in the literature is a segment of this population, including myself, who's saying... Because the church or religion or faith is so complicated or so challenging, I'm just going to simply disengage. And part of the developments happening in the departure from the church 
is this disengagement. Now, again, I want to clarify. There are a host of diverse reasons that are going on. But I have the question, I wonder, I just wonder, what would it be like if we had developed within our culture and within our church this concept and this idea, this fundamental value and ethic to engage? There's an interruption, there's a wrestling, and we will not let it go. And let's engage and figure out how to do this blessing thing together. So that's another way. Another way is through Anne Rice's book. If you haven't read Christ the Lord Out of Egypt, she wrote a historical fiction novel. And she writes in the back of her book an author's note. And she says on page 306, As the rigid Catholic I was, I had no options for exploration. I broke with the church and I broke with my belief in God. Now I want to say as a disclaimer we recognize here that the relationship between Protestants and Catholics is a much more complicated one than than is stated here in this statement. I'm just sharing with you her quotation. We can talk a little bit about what Catholic and Protestant and Christianity is um, at a different time. My point in pointing this out is just to simply say, during her journey, somewhere along her journey, there was a disengagement. There was, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. However, something happened. She says, two pages later, I stumbled upon a mystery without a solution, a mystery so immense that I gave up trying to find an explanation because the whole mystery defied belief. The mystery was the survival of the Jews. It was this mystery that drew me back to God. It set into motion the idea that there may in fact be God. And when that happened, there grew in me, for whatever reason, an immense desire to return to the banquet table. I love that phrase, to return to the banquet table. In other words, I want to re-engage and wrestle. In 1998, I went back to the Catholic Church, but even then I had not closed in on the question of Jesus Christ and Christianity. I did read the Bible in a state of utter amazement at its variety, its poetry, its startling portraits of women, its inclusion of bizarre and often bloody and violent details. When I was depressed, which was often, someone read the Bible to me, often literary translations from the New Testament. In 2002, I put aside everything else and decided to focus entirely on answering the questions that had dogged me all my life. And I love that phraseology. I decided to focus entirely on answering the questions that had dogged me all my life. There's an intellectual wrestling that can happen as well. Where we get to the point where sometime in our life where we don't want to engage anymore. It could be because of apathy. It could be because of disillusionment. It could be because of a whole host of things. And what Anne Rice says in the back, I think, illustrates this point. I want to engage. I want to re-wrestle. There's questions that are burdening my heart and my soul, and I want to get in there and struggle and strive and wrestle with God, with man, and let's figure this out. And I will not let go until there's a blessing. Unless there is a blessing. The last way that I'd like to share a little bit about wrestling comes from the news of this week. And we were trying to figure out how to share what we thought about some news. If you haven't heard about what's happened this week, there was a news report regarding World Vision, which is one of the organizations that we sponsor and that we support. And they made a public declaration. Um, Well, it was an internal document that became a public declaration, made news headlines. And it was a very well-articulated letter. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go out and read it. It's online. It's everywhere. 
which simply stated this, and I'm summing up, because, I, and I'm not going to do it justice by the summation, that because we are a parachurch organization, because we are an ecumenical, meaning we're a broad church kind of organization, we want to change our conduct policy for employees so that if they are in a same-sex marriage, we want to allow them to work here to serve amongst the poor because we care deeply about all these other churches in our communion. We recognize that we have conservative churches with us, but we also recognize we have other kinds of churches. In an effort to be inclusive, we want to make this policy change. If you read the news, World Vision lost thousands of sponsors within 24 hours as a result of that decision. And 24 hours after that, Rich Stearns, the president CEO, along with the board, gave another statement and said, we were wrong, and we've changed. And they went back. In a very short period of time, our church got interrupted. Our global church got interrupted. And if you were on the blogosphere, you were starting to read all sorts of things coming from all sorts of directions. And we started to recognize, here's an interruption. And guess what? We're going to have to wrestle We're going to have to engage. There are some people as a result of this that have decided because of disillusionment, because of apathy, because of mere laziness, because of whatever, they've just simply decided to disengage. Many people because of certainty. They know exactly what's right and they know exactly what's wrong and they've put their stake into the ground and there's no wrestling anymore. And so Danielle and I have been having conversation about this with friends, trying to make our way through it. And because we have a value and an ethic of wrestling, it's not so simple for us as to simply say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and we disengage. This requires more than that. It requires a wrestling. So, on March 29th, Danielle posted a blog post, which is what you do. And what I'd like for you to hear as she reads her blog post, I want you to hear the wrestling. There's an ethic of wrestling that is greater here than just the mere pieces of the news story that broke this week. And I love what she wrote. Um, and um, I just, the, my blog's called Absolute Theology um, because just like absolute power corrupts absolutely, I think absolute theology corrupts. If we get to absolutes where, uh, there's some absolutes we stick with, but if we do it everywhere, we sometimes lose sight. So that's why there's the joke um, liquor bottle, because it kind of makes me feel like sometimes we're drunk, um, because I feel like we don't wrestle. This uh, blog post is entitled, They Will Know. No one ever asks me about love. End times, yes. Abortion, homosexuality, true love waits, rated R movies, cussing, alcohol consumption, eternal salvation, sure. But never in 20 years of the pastoring profession has anyone ever asked me about how I'm doing on that whole actually commanded love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself thing. But people did ask Jesus. They asked him to weigh in on the debate regarding the most important commandment of all, so he quoted text. The most important commandment, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. The mind and strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Mark 12. Not only was that Jesus' answer, but it was also his defining command to us. 
Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13. They will know. After a week like this, I'm left to wonder, will they? Will they ever know us by our love? And just in case you're thinking she's just handpicking the lovey-dovey verses she likes, take that argument up with Jesus and Paul and Peter, James, and John and the Father himself because I didn't write the book. I'm just reading the parts we seem to have forgotten exist. Sadly, these are the parts that identify us as the people of God. Even if I am handpicking, so is everyone else, but I've chosen the most excellent way, so come join me. Paul says so. All of this is desperately important because we need to rediscover our core identity as followers of Jesus. We need to demonstrate to ourselves and the world around us that we are his disciples. How will the world know who we follow according to Jesus? By our love for one another, even when we disagree. We show who we follow by our love for our neighbor, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the lost, the brokenhearted, the prisoner, the thirsty, the hungry, the enemy. When we miss this particular command, we have not only lost the identifying aspect of being one of his followers, but according to 1 John 3.15, we can also feel free to count ourselves among the murderers. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and then Matthew's account of Jesus' parable, separating the sheep and the goats, when Jesus sends someone to hell, it's for their lack of love and care for the poor. In these stories, it's not a lack of proper eschatological understanding, their inability to remember the Roman road, their bad cursing habit, pitiful prayer life, or pitiful theology. It's because they neglected the poor. We have neglected the greater thing. This past week, the church's debate over the divisive issue of same-sex marriage was put on painful display for the world to see. And as our brothers and sisters at World Vision wrestled with the intention of bringing greater unity, their decision instead brought forth pain, brokenness, tribalism, judgment, threats, and condemnation. Thus, the decision was revoked. We have a sin problem. Our sin was on display this week for the world to see. Our inability to be civil even when we disagree. Our inability to listen gently and patiently with a desire to understand. Not necessarily to agree but simply to better understand. This week, his followers neglected to obey his command to love. Our sinfulness, our disobedience, not our love was on display. When call center employees at World Vision resigned because they could no longer take the vitriolic and anger-filled phone calls, we have a lot of explaining to do. I don't care how challenging the subject, how difficult the conversation, how significantly one disagrees, there's absolutely no excuse for lack of love towards one another, particularly towards our brothers and sisters who are on the front lines of serving the poor, restoring the whole in our gospel. So let's make this week better than the last. Let's try again. Let's honor our differences as we work out our faith with fear and trembling. Let's seek for the places where we can agree. May we all breathe deep and get grounded when we begin to feel ourselves flare up with anger, hurt, indignation, disappointment, and judgment. And this happens on all sides of the debate, so everyone needs to get it together here. Let's make up for our nasty, embarrassing base behavior. And let's take this opportunity to shine a light on the needs of the poor, those in deep poverty who live too far away from the arm of justice and rescue. Let's sponsor a child with world vision. After a week like this, let's make certain our faith is not dead. And whether you personally placed a nasty phone call or not, maybe when you call to sponsor the child, 
Give the World Vision Call Center a ring and apologize to whomever answers the phone for the pain and hurt caused by angry callers, displaying a lack of civility, claiming to follow Jesus while disobeying his command to love, or apologize for the other angry voices on the other end of the line once the decision was reversed. Give them a reason to want to answer that phone again and make a difference for the poorest of the poor. Let's put our love on display this week. Our love for Jesus, for one another, for our neighbor, and especially our enemy. May we be as dedicated to following Jesus and as passionate about serving the poor as we are about issues of sexual morality in the United States. For God so loved the world. I thought we'd just sing this in response. Bless God. Thanks for singing. So, friends, don't let go. Don't let go. There's an interruption along the way. There's an issue at hand. There's a challenge to be grasped onto. And guess what? We probably aren't going to want to wrestle. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. It can actually be threatening. But as Jacob says... I will not let go unless there's a blessing there. I won't let go. And, the angel says, you have striven well with God and with man. You've wrestled well, Jacob. Well done. You have overcome. So don't let go. Engage. Lean in. Ask more questions. Be willing to see two sides of a story, or five. (laughs) And in accordance with the values and in accordance with what Danielle read and shared, believe in love, believe desperately in rescue, believe desperately in reconciliation, and as you get cracked on the hip, take the limp. Danielle used to write in her signature a while ago, I'll take the limp any day. Because the wrestling with God means that there's a blessing at the end. Father God, bless you. Thank you for wrestling with us. Thank you for interrupting us. Thank you for meeting us along the way. And Lord, may we not disengage, but may we fully engage with you and with each other. And as we wrestle, as we struggle, as we ask questions, as we try desperately to seek out understanding... Help us, God, give us the strength and the courage to not let go until we receive that blessing of a new identity, a new name, a new purpose, a new way of seeing, a new hope, a new love, a new rescue, a new redemption in this world. And we pray in your name. Amen. Joy boxes are in the back and online. We appreciate so much um, everyone giving and serving and supporting this ministry. And would you please stand for a benediction? May we, as a community of Spark, and may we as a community, as a whole church, embrace the wrestling with both God and human beings, and may we have the grit, the strength, and courage to never let go, so that we may receive a new name, a new identity, and a renewed vision for how to live in this world. Amen.